Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. But the bottom line is, that for all the social progress that the NBA has made, they're still at this conundrum of. You know, do we want to alienate season ticket holders that just come here for the basketball? Great to have you join the show today. I'm really excited about the guest. Great conversation coming up. We also have our crowd ultra Q&A and my rant on the Kings and one of the meaningless, stupidest, absolutely ridiculous stats that I've ever heard of when it comes to the NBA. That's all coming up on the show today. Brought to you by Roy's Umbrella. For all of your home loan needs, just go to roysumbrella.com. No tricks, no gimmicks, no hidden charges at the end. Buying a new home, looking to do a refi, Whatever the case may be, just go to roysumbrella.com. I've used Roy for a number of years. He and his staff are absolutely outstanding. You're going to love the job they do for you. Again, just go online for your home loan needs, roysumbrella.com. That's roysumbrella.com. My guest today is somebody I have known for a long time. As a matter of fact, one of the first people I met when I moved to Sacramento in the late 80s. He is an American sports columnist. He had a combined 21 years at the New York Times and the Washington Post. He was at ESPN as a senior writer for The Undefeated. He's covered pretty much everything, including the Olympics. He's not afraid to talk about important issues, whether they are political or social. Uh, He's really a guy that I have admired and respected for a long time. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome to the program Mike Wise. Mike, how are you, sir? Good, Grant. Long time no talk, my friend. Man, oh man. It's been a long time since the Sacramento Union days, huh? <laughs> yeah, I, I still, still have fond memories, even though I made no money then. And I was like, at the best, the backup beat writer behind a person that we came to love and know, Don Don Drysdale. Yep. The person who wrote after the Don Drysdale pitcher died, the, the greatest lead, by the way, in the history of <laughs> obituary writing he wrote i always had my name confused and i had an identity crisis and he goes but i finally realized that don drysdale was the person who owned the plate and i was the person who cleaned the plate <laughs> <laughs> that was before he lost all his weight but anyway so yeah. double d you know like that was like that, that was my sort of cutting my teeth in the nba and the, and the kings and all that and sort of like cutting my teeth in journalism. So, you know, before it folded into 94, it was like some of the best memories of my life. Well, those were exciting days when the Kings were new in Sacramento and, you know, it was such a phenomenon. People were sleeping overnight in line to get individual game tickets. I mean, that was really a great period of time. It was, it it was. And I even go back further than that in 85, when they came to town, I was at the, my, my first journalism foray was at the American River College current newspaper. And, you know, Julie Fye, the PR director of the Kings then, was she just wanted anybody in town to care after they had moved from Kansas City. So she'd give us press pass. We, you know, and I made, I did the stupidest thing once. Long story, but I could I could tell it later. It's, it was I, I'm embarrassed about it now, actually. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, really quick. My yeah. brother, my stepbrother, Mark, total loser. You know, gets stoned out of his mind routinely. He so wanted to go. So I gave him an Instamatic camera like a, literally a click camera and I signed him up as a photographer and he sat on the baseline, you know, when the Kings served those drafts of beers to the media and you went in and got a pop, 
I mean, he kept going back and bringing out two more every time <laughs> on the court. And finally, my stepbrother's getting hammered while I'm, you know, <laughs> happy to be at this game. And and finally, Greg Lukenbill, the owner of the time, sees he's all drunk and basically confronts him. The owner doesn't get a security guard. You know, Greg, he was a nut. And yep. he like basically kicked my brother, stepbrother out. The ARC's press pass was rescinded for all eternity. I still don't know if any kids there have been back to the arena. And um, and, and and I'm just embarrassed as hell. And my brother's outside. He, he meets some guy in the parking lot that's driving a, a big rig with all the TV equipment. And he gets stoned with him. And, and they watch <laughs> the game on television. And it's like, what happened, man? I'm like, what happened is you just ruined my uh, my entree into uh, NBA basketball media world. Julie <laughs> Fi hates Julie Fi hates us. <laughs> oh, anyway, man. that's great. Oh, oh God, I yeah. know it's uh, good it, days. It was, it, was, it was just such a smaller yeah. world then. Like, can you imagine an owner? Come on, I'm not a security guard confronting no. somebody on the you know a, a photographer under the basket that was just uh, you know drunk out of his mind from all these beers. Unbelievable! You yeah. wrote a piece. Last week, maybe the week before, uh-huh. on Mark Cuban, as it relates to the national anthem. Let me give you my take first, okay? Yeah, because I, sure. th- I thought what you wrote was very interesting. I'm okay if they don't play the anthem at sporting events. I, I, I'm not. I wouldn't vote for it if somebody said, "Grant, how do you feel?" I would say, "No, keep playing it." But the problem I have is I didn't think it was Mark Cuban's right as one of thirty owners to make a decision as important as that. To me, that is a league mm. decision. But you're, but I, I, I really, I actually uh. read your story two or three times because I really wanted to comprehend what you were saying. So for those that didn't read it, what, what is the essence of what you're trying to get across? My point was this, simply. Look, this thing's been cheapened over the years in ways we can't even, you know, I mean, God, if we never had the anthem at sporting events, Grant, think of the professional lasting embarrassment that would have been saved by Roseanne Barr, Carl Lewis, and Fergie. You know, I mean, like like people just have butchered it. And even the song, even the times it's really been good. Sometimes the song becomes more about the singer than anything about us. And I'm I'm so tired of you know whatever it is going to the Rockets games and you know hearing the Rockets or all the fans go nuts at one verse in the song, and or you go to Baltimore and it's like oh. And I'm like, uh, yeah, okay, you're the Orioles, great, we know it. You just you just ruined a good part of the national anthem for you. But I guess what I'm going is, sports is cheap in the anthem in a way that you can't even like, you know. And the only time I really got into it was at big events anyway. Like for instance, you know, when I went when I was working in New York at the Times, I you know I would go as a fan, buy a ticket through the Times with Frank Isola and another writer, and we'd go watch the Yankees. And after 9-11, man, when that song was played, it meant something. It right. felt something like it was a healing moment. I just don't think, I, mean, I just don't, I, I think, I, I just think it's become cheapened, the lyrics and the song over the years, because it's become sporting events. And also, I didn't even know this until sort of like researching it a little bit. We're the only country, other than like Canadians who are nuts about hockey, like in youth hockey, whatever, and, and Mexicans and bullfights, nobody plays their national anthems in these countries at like domestic sporting events, they play it for like an international friendly. They play it for, you know, like you know, Mexico versus Nicaragua or whatever, like all that stuff. But like, they don't play they, You're not going to hear the Mexican national anthem at a high school basketball final. You're not going to, you just don't, you, it's like, not like, what, what does it have to do with anything? We have our own song. <laughs> so I guess, I guess what I'm saying is I feel like it's almost been, especially like Goodell, like it's almost been co-opted. Like okay, if you if you sing the national anthem, if you if I make a hundred yard American flag on my field, you know you, we're not only pro foot, you're not only pro football, you're pro American. It's like enough already. That's it's like faux patriotism to me. Okay, so basically, you want to keep sports sports, no anthem, and sports to me now. And I've said this, I said this way before Colin Kaepernick ever took a knee. And this is just, and again, I, I know I have a different opinion than you on this, but this is how no, I feel. No, it's good. I, I appreciate we going back and forth. Absolutely. I do not want to, and I, I've been a season ticket holder for the New York Giants for most of my life, okay? I pay my own money and a lot of it to go watch games. I don't just get paid for announcing games. I'm also a real hardcore sports fan. I don't yeah. want to go to a game 
to see political and social issues jammed down my throat. Not saying that social issues aren't very important. I'm not saying that political issues are not very important, but I don't want it when I'm watching sports, okay? It actually turns me off. It hasn't turned me off, Mike, to where I've turned my TV off, Okay, but I have watched less sports this year than I ever have in my entire life. That's not what I want. I don't want to go to a Broadway play and have the actors and actresses come out and give me their opinion on their political and social issues. I really am using sports, and I mean this, as that, and I hate to say a cliche, that two and a half hour deviation from the rest of society. Your take on that. Well, look, and, I, I, and I'm very aware of your own, your own back and forth with Boogie Cousins that turned into a fiasco in many ways. And I'm, and I'm kind of like, and part of me was like, I know Grant, like, okay, you know, is this a, is this, is this an offense? Like whatever you were, whatever you meant by tweeting and all lives matter, like whatever you meant by that, it, it wasn't some sinister thing. I know where it came from. And so, so, so for people to look at that as the way, the way they did and not know your body of work and who you are, it's wrong. It's wrong. That said, that said, I look at I look at it like this. That whole stick to sports thing, man. It's that ship has sailed. It, it's it sailed the moment, not but way long before Colin Kaepernick kneeled. I mean, Mike Pence, God bless him, our vice president, walked out of the game in Indianapolis a couple of years ago to protest athletes kneeling. I mean, polit- sports has become used like it was by Jimmy Carter in 1980. As, it, as it's been weaponized, you know, the national anthem. I mean, I know you think the national anthem is nothing, but like the national anthem is now weaponized. Like people, if you don't like it, oh my God, you're, you might as well, you might as well be Croatian or Syrian or you got, you should leave this country. And, and I don't think if you know the song and you know, and you know who wrote it and, you, and it's got, you know, it's got verses in there about slavery. If I'm a if I'm African American, I'm taking a hard look and going, does that thing represent me? I understand we're trying to be united here, but does that song represent me? And I think what Cuban's saying, and I I think it's a great point on your part, saying, you know, who is he to be the guy to say, you know, it should be Adam Silver if anybody, but for him to just decide arbitrarily to not stop thinking, I think he had, to me he had a great quote that he said, and you know, it's like. The real issue is how do you express the voices of those that feel the anthem doesn't represent them or cause them consternation. I mean, it doesn't, I know what it feels like for me watching the Olympics. And I probably know what it feels like for you. I don't know if it feels like that for everybody and us putting them, us putting ourselves in those people's shoes. You know, I mean, you could say, ah, the world's too fricking PC as it is. Well, what, what if every time you hear it, you're like, you're kind of like, really, really, we got to play this at a, at a sporting event. Because the argument you made about you go to games not to be dealing with any of that stuff, you make an argument not to play it, the, the, the anthem at games. Mike, you brought up my tweet to DeMarcus Cousins, and I said all lives matter, every single one. I would have responded that way to anyone that had asked me the same question. So it really had nothing to do with DeMarcus Cousins. But what I have found to be very interesting, and I did a podcast on this just the other day, and I spent 30 minutes talking about this. I had a phone call last Wednesday. I will not name the individual, but he's a professional play-by-play sportscaster, okay? And he was talking to me, uh, and I had talked to him in the summer about the same topic, and he called me back after what happened to uh, the host of The Bachelor, Chris Harrison. And mm. he's, he said to me, he goes, man, i got to tell you, and, and again, we had a lengthy conversation in the summer about the same topic. He said, I'm actually nervous about saying the wrong thing on the air because I don't want it to be misconstrued, misinterpreted. I'm afraid I'm going to say something that is going to be taken and twisted based on the intent that I meant it to be. And we talked for like 30 or 35 minutes. And I will tell you, I've had other conversations about that with other sportscasters, that they're now nervous because of the cancel culture, that if you say Mm. something and it is misinterpreted, I mean, what I said, all lives matter, every single one. I mean, again, I've already talked about this on my podcast. I was brought up and raised with a father who was a civil rights activist. My brother taught at a predominantly black high school math for 34 years. I started a foundation, the Future Foundation, in the early 2000s. My foundation that I started, we've put over 100 students through college. One third of them are black, okay? Again, I'm only saying that for you because this is the first time you and I have talked in a while. I've, I've been very open about this on my podcast. What bothers me about society right now, and I mentioned this, 
business. Nobody wants to spend or very few people want to spend five minutes and peel back the layers and look at the individual who may have made a comment that maybe was misinterpreted or 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 you would have a chance to explain yourself. I never really had that opportunity. And that's one of the main reasons why I started my podcast. So when I say, when I say cancel culture in America in 2021, you say what? Well, I say cancel culture is essentially ridding, putting an X mark on that person and, and denying them every every job opportunity, and, and uh, they're basically banished from Earth for uh, for having an opinion about something that uh, you know we don't know what it was said in the moment. Look, I, I you know me, I, you know I'm probably you know I'm. I'm, you know, I go harder to my left than Michael Moore sometimes, but I've written things on Twitter that people have come back at me for, and I've sort of tried to defend myself in the same way. Like, look, my dad, I mean, I'll uh, be honest with you, my dad, God bless him, but I came home one day and uh, I, I told him I learned a song at school. And he goes, go ahead, go ahead. And I go, Daniel Boone was a man, was a big man, <laughs> but the bear was bigger. So we ran like a, and before I got the GGER, out of my mouth, my father smacked me across my face and uh, said, you'll never say that word in our house. It's the worst thing you can call a black person. Yep. And and we have friends who happen to be black and we have friends who happen to be Mexican. We have friends, you do not. And so like in my neural cortex, you didn't say the N words. Same thing uh, in my house. I never said it. I never said it. I said it again in my life. Exact think, same thing in my house. I had a, I had, a, I had a, a very well-known friend come over at age eight. We were watching a baseball game. He said the yeah. N word. My dad took the individual, the the boy at the time. He was gone for 20, 25 minutes. He came back in 1995. I had the individual on my radio show, and he said, "Grant, uh, how's your dad?" I said, "My dad is great." And he goes, "You know, I've never told you this before, but you remember that day we were at your house and we were watching a baseball." Ball game, and I said a word that I shouldn't have said. I said I sure do. He goes, "Your dad changed my life that day because he didn't know mm. any better because he grew up in in a house where that word was used, and so he he didn't know any better. That was learned behavior. And I thought it was one of the greatest things that's ever happened to me in my life, Mike. And I mean this, and I swear mm. on my life, is that story that Chris told me that my dad changed his life that day at such a young age. See that to wow. me, that to me is like. And what, listening to what you that's say, a legacy. that's exactly right. That's the legacy. And I'm listening to what you're saying, and it parallels with what my childhood was like. And I love hearing stories like that because you know what? You and I in our generation, we have a lot of friends where that wasn't said in the house, that they were using that word. And you know what? No one corrected them. They didn't know any better until they got older. And I'm so happy that you shared that story. Well, and I, and I shared it because I had written a story Basically, I'm thinking 2013 after, remember the Jonathan Martin, uh, Richie Incognito bullying thing? You sure do. Richie Incognito, who happens to be white, used the N-word to ridicule. And some of his black teammates said they actually gave Incognito the license to use the word because one former teammate referred to him as an honorary brother. And my point and my thing was this. I wrote a column basically saying there there was someone that told me I called up Wilbon about it. And as Wilbon said, he used it all day, every day in my life. And I'm like, what? Really? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, he said, I have a problem with white people framing the discussion for the use of the N-word. And I wrote this column basically saying, I have a problem with anyone of any ethnicity telling me that my values and beliefs about eradicating slurs from public and private conversation are less important than having agency over them for personal use, no matter who it hurts. And I got savage. Basically, my whole thing was like, oh, you're telling black people how to think and act. And I've come around on that. I was like, you know, I don't like hearing it. I still I don't care if the word ends in GGA and it's a form of affection or not. I've come around on that. If you if you're black and you want to flip a slur that was targeted at you and your people the rest of your life for your, you know, and you want to use it in uh, you want to commercially profit in hip hop off of it or whatever. And and it becomes part of the vernacular, whatever. You know, that's you have the right to do that. It's you. But it doesn't. I'm not, I'm never going to accept it. I'm not I, I think the N word is filth. It's disrespectful, confusing, and it uplifts no one. And I, I know of no other minority in the world co-opting a dehumanizing racial slur used by its oppressor. And I'll have that argument with Common. Uh, I have had that argument with many people on panels, and it doesn't have anything to do with, uh, you know, I don't like it. I don't like it. 
does it does it mean that my voice should be bigger than yours? No, because if I if you're black, that word was targeted at you. You can do with what you want with that word, but I'm telling you, I don't like it, and I think it's divisive, and I don't care. And, and so, and I certainly, if I hear a white person using it, I, not only will I correct them. But I want you to have anything to do with them. Nope. I'm with you. I was in an elevator. I want to say it was two years ago, maybe three years ago. We had just gotten off the bus in a city. And, you know, you grab your bags and, you know, there's you, you jump in the elevator. And I'm in there with maybe seven or eight of the players, right? And yep. the N-word that ends in A was being used... And I, I'm like, you know what? And I said, I said, and I, I, first time I've ever done this in my life. I said, hey guys, I said, I understand where you're coming from, but I, 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 this is bothering me. And I said, I love you guys and I respect you guys. I said, but can you please not use that language, that word when I'm in your presence? And they stopped and they, my floor elevator door open i got off my floor i go guys have a good night they go you too man you take care have a good night so they were respectful to me but i was like you know what i know i'm in their domain in other words i'm traveling with the team and when you know mike you've covered sports your whole life and uh, and I, but but it, i was so damn bothered by it because it had been going on and on and i said to myself i go you know what i go it's t- i need to speak up for myself like i need to just let them know how i feel and i will say this to their credit because we were in many elevators again, and we were they they didn't do it. They absolutely never said the, the, they they never talked like that when I was in the elevator in their presence. And um, I, I did this thing on my my podcast the other day, and I read this great tweet from MLK, uh, and I, it says, "Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter." And that mattered mm. to me. And I'm like, you know, I'm not going to be silent anymore. I'm going to tell people how I feel. And that's one of yeah. the and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on because I know you. You're not going to be afraid to just tell it like it is and give your opinion. And you're not afraid to talk about sensitive issues or controversial issues. And I've always respected you about that, even though I don't agree with. I mean, a lot of your political beliefs. I'm not on the right. I'm really not. I would vote for. I don't care. I, I would vote for a Democrat. I would vote for a Republican. I would vote for mm. somebody that I think is the best. I don't give a damn what their party is. But I, I'm so happy that you are able to come on and talk freely. And I've just have so much respect for you that you're, you let the chips fall where they may. Mm, well, I just have one thing to say. We are the world. We are the children. <laughs> no, 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 yeah, no, I, I appreciate you know, in, in all sincerity. I, my wife always goes, you know, every time there's a nice moment, you always ruin it by using humor as camouflage and your real feelings. Your real feelings are you want to cry, you want to, you know. And I go, you know, honey, you're right. Um, but at any rate, the bottom line, uh, the bottom line is you, you, you know, speak the truth. And and I think, look, I, I'm not going to defend Chris Harrison, the Bachelor thing. I'm not going to defend him, but he's in a place now where. You know, once he's once he's he went through the media, what I call it, the wood chipper, right? Like a Fargo, like is that your friend in the wood chipper? Um, like, yeah, yeah. You go through literally a wood chipper and you get shredded with these, uh, and you went through it, and and Chris Harrison went through it. If you can come out on the other side and not what I call not um, not embrace the whole idea of why you were canceled or why people cancel you, but at least say, all right. I could see why people might think that. And sure. like, even like the all lives matter thing, like, sure. Like, like people said, people said black lives matter. It's, it, it's like someone told me once, they said, you know, uh, it, it's not white lives don't matter. Right. It's just, we're just asking you to pay attention to this certain thing. And I'm like, that is so true. Yes. It we is should true. all be, we should all grab and you know, look, but I, but I shouldn't have had – and again, I'm not talking about I, – I, I'm not crying on your shoulder here. I don't think that that comment uh, justifies a 32-year career being thrown down the toilet. I agree. I agree. And I without any – you know, and, and with with these things, I remember I wrote – I was trying to prove how journalism was bad on my radio show, on a radio show in Washington oh, I like remember. 12 years ago. I remember that. Oh, yeah. And the way I did it was I, I told everybody on the radio, uh, all my audience, which was probably, you know, three people. And I said, look, I'm going to show you how bad it is. 
I'm going to tweet out, you know, Ben Roethlisberger is going to get five game suspension. You know, when I know it's four, everybody's saying it's four, but I'm going to say, and I, I'm going to show you national people, national media is going to figure this out. They're not going to call it Ben. They're not going to call his agent. They're not going to call the Pittsburgh Steelers. They're not going to call the league office. They're just going to take what I say and put it out there. Now, what I didn't realize is you put something out on your own Washington Post Twitter account. People think it's freaking a real story. Right. And so I got, I got suspended for a month. And there was a woman at the post, you know, to this day, she's still working there. She got like two weeks for plagiarism. Wow. And, you know, and, and, but what I, you know, what I got to remember is this isn't what about It's not about like what, you know, it's like the capital insurrection. It's like, yeah, okay. But look what Cuomo did in New York. Like, no, no, you freaking ransacked the Capitol. Focus. Right. Like I have to focus that I, I, I fucked up. Uh, pardon my French. No, we're on a, pod- we're up. on a podcast. Oh, you, can say right. what, you can say whatever the fuck right. you want. You know, (laughs) I I, I fucked up and I needed to own that before I got into a thing of like, look what happened to me and look what happened to you. I, but I agree. There's no reason for a a 32 year broadcast. You know, you get labeled by somebody right? and you get labeled by somebody and all of a sudden like, okay, yeah, you might've, you might've had a problem with DeMarcus Cousins. It wasn't it might have not it probably didn't have anything to do with the fact that uh, you know his race and his nothing color. it probably had to do with the fact that he was a young knucklehead yep. learning to play in the nba and he was completely selfish and he's yep. still trying to get past that label you the know difference what is he's the difference is he's getting paid no matter what <laughs> i was doing the jim rome show which i was blessed to frequently do filling in for jim and in one summer I was talking about Carmelo Anthony because Carmelo had come out after one of the uh, tragic shootings. uh, And I don't know. I can't remember if it was Trayvon Martin. So forgive me on that. And he did a video that he put out on Instagram and Facebook away from the arena. And I was so impressed with what he was trying to do and how he said it. And then I brought up DeMarcus Cousins just because I always believe and I know, Mike, and I learned this in college, be objective and be fair. And I was doing the Jim Rome show, and everyone knows the feuds and the run-ins that I've had with DeMarcus, all right? And I'm not, I'm not ashamed to say that that went on. I feel justified in my criticism of him. That's my job. That's what I do. You have had a radio show for a number of years. It's a very fine line to walk, and it can be difficult at times. So I went on the Jim Rome show, and we were talking about Carmelo Anthony, and someone called in, and they asked me a question uh, about DeMarcus and his suspensions in basketball. And again, this is on national radio, over 500 stations, I believe, at the time in North America and on TV. And I said, you know, the one thing I will say about DeMarcus Cousins, and I said, and I wish more athletes would do this. He had a town hall meeting with, and I believe it was in Mobile, Alabama. It could have been Birmingham, so forgive me on the town, but where he grew up in Alabama. He organized a town hall meeting. This was probably four or five years ago, okay, with the police department. All right. To have an open forum about relationships between the police department and the community that he grew up in. And I said, you know what? That is something that I appreciate and respect. He didn't want to do it because the cameras are being there. He didn't want to do it because he wanted notoriety. He did it because he believed in his heart that it was important to have an open forum and a town hall meeting between the police department and the the people that lived in his community. And again, so I always try to look at the good in people, too. I, I go back to, at the end of the day, Mike, what's right is right. And don't be afraid. Hey, listen, I, I don't like DeMarcus Cousins. I have no problem saying that. I think the guy has got issues. I think he is a destructive force on basketball teams. I think it's very disrespectful the way he's treated coaches and team personnel and the way he's cursed at fans over and over throughout the country. But you know what? I'm not going to ignore the good things he did. I'm not going to ignore the fact that he used his own money every Christmas to dress up like Santa Claus and go to the local Walgreens mm-hmm. or Walmart and, and, and put smiles on kids' faces. I'm not going to forget cl- boogie claws. No, but you know what? Those are and and no, and, I think it's awesome. and that those are great. So you know, again, I always try to point out the good things as well. I just think that in society today. There are too many people that don't want to look at the other side. They're only looking at the bad, 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 negative, negative, negative. Cancel him. Cancel her. Get rid of this person. Get rid of that person. Again, nobody wants to spend two minutes and look at someone's life. That's what bothers me the most about what's going on in our country today. No, I I agree. And you've been at the, like, let's be honest, you've been at the forefront of a lot of the NBA's sort of what I call renaissance of social conscience in many ways. I think it was 2018 when. I think it was a young black man was shot. It was Stephon Clark. Stephon Clark. And, 
Yes, Stephon Clark. Yeah, and it, like, and you know, this goes to sh- this this goes to show you like what kind of guy Garrett Temple is, who played for the Kings. That guy was putting together the same things. Like, you know, let's let's try and bridge the divide between the law enforcement and the black community. That's correct. I mean, that's that that's big stuff. Yes, and it is. I remember I had him on my podcast, and I was like, Damn, he's this, the best. This this guy gets it. He's I mean, the best. he comes from a role of like civil rights activist, but a family of them, but he's the best. Yeah, he really is. And so, I mean, I, I've talked to, like, I've talked to Garrett world. Yeah. And yeah. you know, you know the story about his father, first black player, I believe at LSU and bridged the barrier there. And you know, I used oh, to, yeah. and his dad's the nicest freaking man in the world. I used to talk to him all the time. He would always come on the road. Like it would be amazing. We'd be, you know, playing when Garrett was on the Kings and I would see his father at so many games and I, and I, and he would just be such an easy guy to talk to and hearing his stories and, and I'm so happy that you had Garrett on your podcast and you've gotten to know him because to me, he's one of my all time favorite people because you know what? He's one of the guys in our professional sports leagues that truly doesn't just talk to talk, but he walks the walk. You know, I mean, a lot of guys just talk because it sounds good, but what do they do about it? Do they make a difference in their community? Garrett truly makes a difference in his community. And I respect the hell out of him for that. Oh, uh, he, he, and it goes back farther for him too. You know, his dad was the first black player. He, you know, imagine your home state's most prominent university, LSU, rejecting your grandfather, you know, Garrett Temple, rejecting your grandfather for their master's program in 1955 because of his skin color. And the only way Collis B. Temple Sr. gets an advanced degree in agricultural economics was because of a Thurgood Marshall class action suit against these schools. And, you know, and they don't admit his grandfather because it's president and faculty are scared to death what happens if they allow a learn, learned black man on campus. But through a grant from a state legislature, they pay for him to go to Michigan State. That guy, after all the nasty racism and bitterness, says, all right, look, son, if you want to play there and be their first black player, that's fine. Be my guest. Like, like the, 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 the amount of forgiveness that has to go into that family is just incredible to me. I want to circle back to something you said before that, you know, the politics yeah. and social issues that they're here to stay that, you know, we, we, the, 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 you know, horses out of the barn, so to speak or whatever. All right. Yeah. And again, I, 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 I'm not making any blanket statements here because we're dealing with a pandemic and a lot of people's lives are completely different than they were 12 and 16 months ago. Do you feel as we look at the declining TV ratings and I believe that if fans were allowed back in venues, I think that the attendance would be down. But I may be wrong. That's just my opinion. Do you feel that, and I'll call it the new norm, if I may, do you feel that the, and I know you don't think it's new, but I'm going to call it the new norm. Do you feel the new norm in sports with all the attention on political and social stances and issues is going to hurt the overall bottom line of professional sports? I think in some ways it already has. I mean, the the NBA was... You know, I, I had a hard time even getting back into sports after COVID world. But the, the NBA playoffs to me were just fascinating. And yet the numbers were still down. And part of it was because we had a lot more bigger concerns in our world right now. But I think some of it was because they went all in on the social justice movement. And I think Adam Silver kind of factored that in because he knew he couldn't get those players, many of whom were black. And well, let's give it up for a lot of their white teammates, too, who stood shoulder to shoulder with them, irrespective of whether you believe in sitting out a day. And like, like I'll say this, we'll have we'll have more change in this country the moment Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers gets on a stage with Carmelo and LeBron and says, all right, let's think about what's going on here, because then it'll be then like like I, I, in a way like why, why do black why do black athletes have to be the ones that fix everything why why isn't there a responsibility for everyone but anyway that's that's sure. neither here nor there but but I think you're right I think that there's a segment of society like like you that just wants to see the games and sports and they don't want uh, your political opinion and and you know and and in fact. In fact, it seems like the NBA does want your political opinion, but only of a certain, you know, bent. If you're, you know, well, you can't be Kurt Schilling, you know, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, right? (laughs) Right. Yes, no. You you can have some conservative viewpoints and hopefully be accepted and not thought of as a racist in America today. I, you know, I have friends that are definitely much more conservative than I am. And I feel for them in a way because they don't like they can say what they want to say because they think it'll be taken wrong 
because uh, essentially because they're Caucasian, like, oh, they'll think that's my worldview just because I'm white. The NBA is in a tough spot. I will say this because Adam Silver at some point, especially after Hong Kong and all the hypocrisy there, like you have to decide at one point, are you going to be a cause, a movement, or are you going to be uh, a business? And sometimes you can't be both. I mean, the NBA can say it's, and I believe it's more the more most progressive league in America. It's the first to use women officials. It's the first to, you know, like you can, first, first, first. I mean, I always said, people always said, oh, God, these NBA coaches, they're always these old white guys like Nelly, reach, white retreads. Well, you know, where I thought that we that the NBA made progress and still football and baseball has it, like, there are now black retread coaches. You know, you can, uh, in they're black. For a while, it was Byron Scott, you know, Nate McMillan's very good. I don't think they, but there are a lot of, there are sure. a lot of coaches who, it was, is there a lot of coaches who, who happen to be black who got jobs again? Alvin um, Gentry. Uh, and Alvin Gentry. Like, you know, it wasn't that, uh, you know, like, so, so I think that's good. We got to a point where there are black retread coaches. Like, that, that's, that's, that's right for society. But the bottom line is that for all the social progress that the NBA has made, they're still at this conundrum of, you know, do we want to alienate season ticket holders that just come here for the basketball? And even if they don't, even if they subscribe to LeBron's worldview that we need to fix things and, and the police and, and the black community have to find a way to bridge their divide. Even if you, even if you really find and you believe in systemic racism in this country, which I, you know, I, I believe in it because you, you just go back in history, but that's just me. But I, I think that there's the, the NBA is starting to pay a price. And, yep. but here's the thing though, look at what, look at what Nike did. Okay. Nike, God, for, you know, God bless them. They try to be so, they try to be so enlightened and they want to, and they want to look at it like they're the ones that are on the cusp of, but signing Kaepernick to a deal and giving him a million dollar endorsement deal for it and making him the, making this big commercial. That was a major thing. Basically my, and I don't think Nike did it because I mean, you know, it's, you know, great. They're socially conscious. I think they did it because they put their finger in the air grant and they saw which way the economic wind is blowing. And if the young people in this country are going to be your next buyers of foot and apparel, foot, you know, shoe, shoes and apparel and everything that is Nike and the season ticket hold. I mean, I'm sorry. And the, the 60 and over crowd is the one that are screaming at the clouds going, you damn woke bastards. You know, you know, why would you give that un-American asshole a, a, a contract? Those people are dying off. That was the, the Nike people of old that used to buy all their product are dying off. Nike just made a business decision and they went young and they went woke. Now, in my case, I've gone woke and I just feel like I've gone broke, but that's a different story. <laughs> but, but no, it's right. But no, but you know what I mean? Like, I think like all these people, like, you know, I mean, it's why, you know, I, I look, whether you liked it or not, I campaigned since I almost since I got to Washington to get rid of the team's name because I met too many Native Americans. I met a guy who lives in, you know, Sacramento, Billy Mills. Winner of the 64, 10,000 meters in Tokyo. I'm writing a bio, I'm finishing a biography on him now. Everybody buy that book, please, after it comes out. When's it coming this out? Guy, it's hopefully, oh God, hopefully right after the Olympics. This okay, year, great. If, if the Olympics yeah. are had. But, but it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's the definitive biography. So what did Billy Mills guy. tell you? Well, Billy Mills was like, I'm not a mascot. I'm tired of like, I don't, I don't want to be a, uh, I, I don't, I don't want to be somebody's mascot. I don't want to, he doesn't like the Chiefs. He's like, what is that? Like, oh, but that's not how we hit a war drum. That's like somebody's Hollywood caricature idea of us. And he goes, and people think this doesn't matter. But if you look at this, whatever, American Psy- Psychological Association surveys and this study where they did it. And it's basically like young native kids, man, it hurts their self-esteem. They think that society outside the res thinks that they are in 1880 and, you know, and they're about to re- dress up as sitting bull and, and throw a tomahawk in somebody's scalp. Like they think that they, 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 a lot of them have a problem, uh, you know, being envisioned as, you know, future teachers, educators, senators, you know, law enforcement people, because this society has put them back in time because that's how we want to remember Native Americans. 
Hmm. And I think it's a great point. And like, you know, like we don't have any other race. We don't have any other mascot in this, in this country or, you know, a team name after a living race of people. We just don't, <laughs> but it's okay to do that with some native Americans. I don't know. And so when he told me that, I was like, screw it. You can tell me I'm PC all you want. You got to get rid of that team's name. And God bless them. They eventually did. Where, where do we stop? I mean, are we going to just go and filter through any single name that's even remotely offensive? Mm. I mean, where, where, like, uh, I guess that's my question. Where, where are we going to stop with mm. all of this? Where, where does this well, end? Okay. I, th- I think we stop when people tell us they're not offended anymore. Like, you know, okay. So it had, that thing was going on for people don't know. It was going on for 40 years. The National Congress of American Indians was trying to get it changed by Jack King Cook in the 60s, but nobody remembers that. But like people, people didn't want that name that happened to be, you know, the, the people that they were caricaturing, you know, like, I, I, like I'm, I, I'm all in on that because I got to know a lot of them. And obviously I spent a lot of time at Pine Ridge where Billy's from in South Dakota on the, on the reservation and learned about the history of the people. And it's funny, like you talk to a lot of the Americans, the older ones are like, we got bigger problems than the rest. We got, we, we got, we need wells to drink clean water. We need this. And their kids are like, no, 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 grandpa, you don't know. They're mocking us. They're mocking us. Like, and like they're, they're having conversations in their living rooms about it for the first time. But when you say, when we stop, I don't know, like, you know, like, like, okay. Fighting Irish people say like, no, like we haven't seen Irish people walking through the streets of South Bend going, you guys are making fun of me as a leprechaun. That's, you know, I got you. that's not happening. And it, and it never will because for whatever reason, fighting Irish is like, that's Notre Dame's nickname. But like, you know, like, I, you know, like, I mean, they said they're, they're taking down monuments. I, I don't have a problem with that. You know, Confederate model, like really a Confederate flag. Think about it, Grant. A Confederate flag is probably, you know, like the right, the far right in this country always makes fun of these liberal snowflakes and they give their kids the participation trophies and like grow up, freaking grow a pair, you bastards. Well, what's a bigger participation trophy than a freaking Confederate flag? You were second, yep. you bastards. Hey. I, I listen, I you make some good points. Before we go, I want to bring up the story right now with Adam Silver and Masai Ujiri, all right? Adam Silver on an yes. interview with HBO Real Sports in 2019 talking about the incident with the security guards uh, in uh, Oakland at uh, Oracle Arena. Adam Silver said this, it's part and parcel of what comes with someone who is living on the edge a bit and is hardwired to sort of match forward with incredible energy. Lessons learned for him. Without assigning culpability or blame to anyone, as a leader, those are the kinds of situations he needs to learn to avoid. Obviously, Masai, the general manager of the Toronto Raptors. Silver has just come out and made an apology and said, when I watch that last bit of the interview, in light of what we now know, I would love to take those words back. But I apologize to Masai for what I said in that interview. Believe me, when I look at that now, I cringe when I watch it. I'm just curious, again, based on everything that we've talked about, why do you think more people aren't talking about this? This is the commissioner of the National Basketball Association really coming down and calling out a black general manager, okay, and now is profusely apologizing, and it almost seems like it's a non-story. So what's, like, I guess what, like, this is sad, and it really isn't. I mean, it, like, I, I don't think because I'm in so in book world right now, I haven't like, I haven't, I haven't really got into it. But I know the, I know the Messiah Jury story of what happened. It's, it's funny. It wasn't, it was, <laughs> it wasn't that long ago when, when shoot, it is last year that Silver was pushing Messiah Jury onto the Knicks. I mean, he was basically actively campaigning to get him. That's there. right. So, That's a great point. Yes, he was. You know, so, so like, I think to myself, like. Like Adam Silver is going to step in it at some point because of the job he has. I mean, he started with a bang, you know, because he banned Sterling and he did that with, you know, in cooperation with the union who was basically going to strike and with games if they didn't get rid of the, uh, the racist owner for the Clippers. But like, he became like this golden child and, you know, and then, then Hong Kong, I don't know, you know, like, I mean, I know Adam, you know, I mean, so do I. small, 
I mean, small world story, you know, like I'm, you know, I'm covering the Knicks in New York, the New York times. And I got this cool apartment on the Upper West side. God, I should have had you over by the way. When you <laughs> yes, you should have. <laughs> oh my God. You, you know, because I, I'd like, rather, I'd rather go to the Mike Wise residence than sit and have a nice meal at Del Frisco's or Carmine's <laughs> or whatever. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> but it was cool. I'd have these parties and you know, whatever they, and uh, Adam Silver before, you know, while well, he was still entertainment guy, he wasn't deputy commissioner. He, he like would come over. He and Billy Hunter would came came over one time and just watched a Gotti Ward fight with me. It was wild, but but it was like you're living in this world and you're going, oh, yeah, this guy. And then all of a sudden, this kind of nebbish um, bookworm in the back of your apartment is suddenly making eight million dollars as the commissioner of the NBA, and he's making all these decisions. And it's funny how you grow into that stuff. I like Adam Silver. I think I that, do too. I think that you know. I think he's. I think he's constantly reevaluating himself and the league's relationship with not just you know the social justice movement in this country, but his own players and his own uh, management and sort of like you know I, I, the one thing I love about the guy he actually he admits when he's wrong. You know how many people don't admit when they're wrong? That's a great point. Country? That's a great point. I mean, you know what? Good, says, good point. Yeah, I'm married now for ten years. I still refuse to admit to my wife that I'm wrong. <laughs> but you've never been wrong in your life, Mike, ever since I've really? known you, you know? Well, well uh, it's, it's weird. Like, yeah. Go ahead. No, go other ahead. than the yeah. one tweet, you know, that you put out knowing that it was false, that's the only time where I said, oh, Mike was wrong, you know? But other than that, you've right. always been right. <laughs> no, I, I, someone said, like, um, how do you, you know, like, do you have any advice for me, like, how to stay married? And I go, yeah, it's pretty easy. Um, every night before you go to bed, someone has to say, I'm sorry, Christina, and then you'll be fine. <laughs> hey, <laughs> on that note, uh, we're going to wrap this up, man. I got, I can't believe that you and I have been just chatting here for 45 minutes, catching up. And I love talking about these issues because you know what? It's nice to get different perspectives. It's nice to bring this out. And I just, I, I've been yeah. really preaching this on my, on my podcast. In addition to everything else, we need more dialogue in this country and we need to be able to have a difference of opinion without just completely, you know, saying, oh, screw that person. I mean, let's have some dialogue. Let, let's let me listen to you. Let you listen to me. And at the end of the day, give each other a hug and go, OK, you know what? That was really fun. I enjoyed that. Maybe I don't agree with everything you said, but I respect with what you had to say. And I just don't think we have enough of that in our country right now. I completely agree. That's my biggest thing. Um, I won't. I'll tell you, I'm going to break some news, but it's, it's not really news because it's never going to happen. A guy that worked for Joe Biden, actually, it was in a lawyer. I worked for the Sun at CBS in D.C. and uh, about a year ago, and he said, hey, I'm going to put your name in for, you know, like strategic advocacy writing in the administration. And I go like, I don't want that. You know what, I, you know what kind of job I want? I want a job where I help us freaking talk to each other again as a country. It's not that like there's there's left wing nuts, too. There's eco terrorists. Like get rid of But like instead of get ridding them, instead of killing him, instead of putting him in jail, let's freaking try to like say, hey, let's reeducate each other. This isn't right. Mm. Let's let's talk. You know, we don't. We know we're not going to always get along. We can have robust arguments about abortion and death penalties and 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 immigration. But when it gets you're on one team and I'm on the other, you know, and it doesn't matter what the what your team does. That's ugly. You still have to have its back. That's when we got problems. Amen. I, want, I just want to like make it, let us start talking again. In fact, my next goal in life is going to get Grant Napier. And DeMarcus Cousins on the same podcast. I would do it. I don't know how. I, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do well, it. Listen, oh, I'm sorry. You know what? I'm yeah. tight with John Wall. He can talk to Boogie. I'd have him on. I would have him on, and we would have a great open discussion. And uh, yeah. I, I, I would be respectful of him. And I would hope he would be the same of me. I would have no problem with having him on my podcast at all. No problem yeah, at and, all. And, and, and you know, and I also think like like let's let's not. Let's not do what happened to you to everybody else. Let's let's get let's let's raise. You know, you're a good voice in this in this country. You're a thoughtful voice. Why are we silencing that in any way? Like, why are we not looking at the body of work? That's I, I just think that we need to do that more. Mike, I really enjoyed this. Uh, thank you so much. Yeah, uh, it's good, man. You know what? I'll I tell you, I, 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 when you, when the book comes out, I'm going to have you back on because I'd love to talk more about that. Oh, that would be great. Yeah. And you know. Bill, I don't know where you do the podcast from your house or whatever. Yep. Um, where 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 are you living right now? I am living in Miami. Okay, so you're living in Miami. No, Billy Mills is in Sacramento, but I'll, I'll make him go to Miami because he's still alive. <laughs> and he'll <interview> with me. <laughs> right. Well, 
I, I, All right, man. I appreciate it very much, Mike. Thank you so much. Uh, All right. Okay, Grant. It was very good catching up, buddy. You're the best. All right. Take care, buddy. Bye-bye. Again, my thanks to Mike. Really interesting conversation. Really appreciated that. Hey, COVID spring break is right around the corner. And you know what that means? Spring break in your pants. Manscaped is here to ensure that the party in your pants never stops. Even Veronica Corningstone wouldn't say no to this pants party. For everyone preparing for a pants party this spring break, I've got an exclusive 20% off discount using the code NAPES, N-A-P-E-S, at manscaped.com. Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full body grooming game. Now, the Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with the Essential Lawnmower 3.0 waterproof cordless body trimmer and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your grooming routine. Folks, this is the best trimmer on the market for those of you in need of a chest or a ball shave. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to advanced skin safe technology pioneered by Manscaped. Then you can also adjust settings to get a length you like. Folks, you can stay on top of it with almost no effort at all. Hey, be sure to use their Crop Cleanser Body Wash to keep your hair and skin feel healthy and fresh. And inside the perfect package, you'll also find the Manscaped Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer because we know how painful chafing can be when you're wearing your bathing suit all day. Hey, you'll also find the Crop Reviver Ball Toner, a spray-on testy toner that's designed to give your boys a little slice of heaven. Hey, get 20% off and free shipping with the code NAPES. And for a limited time, subscribers get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance reduced chafing manscaped boxers. Again, folks, do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. Again, 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code word NAPES, N-A-P-E-S. Say aloha to your new beautiful balls with Manscaped. All right, it is now time for our crowd ultra question and answer. Very simple if you haven't signed up. Just go to crowdultra.com. That's crowdultra.com. And I got to tell you, you know, the questions are getting better and better each week. I'm getting more and more people uh, sending me questions. So uh, here we go. Derek wants to know, do you agree with Cedric Maxwell saying Luca is the modern day Larry Bird? I do not. First of all, completely different style of players, completely different uh, positions. Larry Bird, a much better shooter. Here's the other thing about Dallas. As I'm reading this question from Derek, they're a 500 team. You know, I keep on hearing Luca this, Luca that, Luca this, Luca that. How about winning some freaking games? They're 500. They were in the seventh seed last year. I know he's young. I get that. But, I mean, got to start winning some games. You know, again, they're 500. All right, Phil wants to know, do you have a favorite play you've called? I don't know if I have a favorite play, but I was thinking about this. Probably the game that I did at Chicago with Jerry Reynolds when Tyreek Evans was a rookie. And I think the Kings were down, what, 35 points in the third quarter? And when the game ended, the way I called it was probably, and again, I don't really talk about myself, but I, I thought I hit that out of the park, my call at the end of the game. I think I said something like, somehow, some way, the Sacramento Kings, you know, find a way, you know, or something like that. Uh, I was very proud of that call because I it, it's just you know you don't get a chance to rehearse these things you don't get a chance to plan for these things and I, I just like the way that thing flowed so I, I would probably say that game uh, Ross wants to know how would you prepare for calling a game you know it's it's different you know if I'm playing a team that I've seen a couple times in the last couple of weeks it's easier if I'm seeing a team in the Pacific Division and Western Conference might be easier because I get a chance to see those teams four times a year um, it's just a really you look at your notes, you talk to the announcers on the other team, you look at trends, you know, as a team playing well, did they have a game, you know, the other night? Are they playing four games in five nights, three games in four nights? You know, are, are, are there any trends? I'm in the trends. So momentum and trends, I, I look at that when I get ready to call the game. So those are some of the things uh, that I do. Ben wants to know, is Adam Silver the reason for the NBA being so woke? That's a very delicate topic, all right, whether a league is woke, if it's not woke. I mean, here's the reality, okay? Adam Silver, who I think is a hell of a commissioner, 
is the commissioner of a sport that is 85% black, okay? And we know what's going on in our country with social justice issues and, you know, it has been a very tumultuous, turbulent period of time, all right? And the NBA has tried to be in the forefront and Adam Silver is the commissioner of the NBA. So if you want to call it woke, you can call it whatever you want. Adam Silver is the face and the decision maker in a lot of areas in the forefront of the NBA. Is he perfect? No, he's not perfect. All right. Uh, Could have he had handled the Daryl Morey comment in free Hong Kong and the China situation over a year ago differently? I think he could have. All right. Personally, I would have had both the teams get on their airplane and I would have had them flown home. But that's just me. Okay, Uh, I don't you know, he came out and, you know, with Masai Ujiri apologizing. I mean, again, no one's perfect. He's not perfect. But I think the guy's a hell of a commissioner. I really do. I have a lot of respect for uh, Adam Silver. Casey wants to know who's the biggest draft bust in the recent past. I got to say, Josh Jackson, you know, if you're talking about recent, the number fourth pick went right ahead of De'Aaron Fox for the Phoenix Suns. uh, And that's bust, bust, bust. Right. I mean, if you're talking about recent memory, that's an absolutely huge bust by the Phoenix Suns. And what's interesting about that is they they blow that pick and look where they are. You know, one of the top teams uh, in the West. You don't see that very often. Uh, Alex wants to know, why are so many pro athletes sensitive nowadays? I don't think you say so many. I don't agree with you so many. There are some. The Kevin Durant's of the world, you know, uh, DeMarcus Cousins for his whole career, ultra-sensitive. Chris Webber was like this when he played. Chris is still sensitive. Did you see what he did the other day? You know, on a podcast, basically uh, telling, you know, people, fuck you. Uh, I mean, seriously, go look it up. I mean, he's the most sensitive. He, he'd probably be in my top two or three most sensitive athletes that I've ever been around. Thin-skinned, can't handle any criticism, thinks he knows everything, thinks he's perfect, never says he's sorry. Uh, it's unbelievable to me. It really is. So those are some of the, the, you know, I I don't know. But I I, I don't, I think they're in the minority. That's not the majority of athletes, uh, in my opinion. Grant, or Tom wants to know, who do you think can be potential winners of the NCAA basketball tournament? I think it's wide open. Look at all the major schools, Kansas struggling, Kentucky, awful, Duke. I mean, I think this thing is absolutely wide open. Dan wants to know, will Sacramento get an MLS team now that the main investor dropped out, Ron Burkle. You know, Ron Burkle's been unbelievably disappointing for Sacramento. Really has. Shame on him. Absolutely. Can't honor a commitment. Really not happy with Ron Burkle. It's got, to me, it's an uphill battle, but Sacramento's always got this way of figuring it out and getting it done. We went through it with the Kings. I really hope so. I really hope so because there are a lot of people that have worked uh, many, 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 many hours and spent a lot of their own money uh, to get, the MLS to uh, Sacramento and Kevin Nagel would be at the top of that list for a guy spending his own uh, own money. So I hope so. I really do. Hey, thanks to all the questions. Just go to crowdultra.com, sign up, and you can ask me a question. It's time for Brent, Brent, Brent. Today's rant is brought to you by New Works Plumbing, locally owned in Sacramento for 20 years. Leak detection, water line repair, bathroom plumbing. New Works Plumbing is a full-service plumbing solution. No matter how small or how large your plumbing problem, they've got a fix for you. Their expert technicians are available 24-7 for all of your plumbing needs. Just go to newworksplumbing.com. That's N-E-W-W-R-X-Plumbing.com for all of your plumbing needs. I know this is hard to believe, but the Sacramento Kings had another meltdown on Sunday against the Charlotte Hornets. And I wake up yesterday morning, and all I'm seeing is how Buddy Heald became the fastest player in NBA history to make 1,000 threes, surpassing Steph Curry. Who the hell cares? Like, why is that important? Why is that even worth mentioning? So he he's the fastest player to reach 1,000 three-pointers? Like, why is that news? You know, great job by Marcus Breton of the Sacramento Bee, all right? he His response on Twitter was perfect. He said, who cares? It means nothing. He's inefficient and ineffective. Hey, I've got a stat for you. He's 28 years old. He's in a sixth NBA season. Zero playoff appearances, all right? I got another stat for you. He's the starting guard on an NBA team that is on track right now for going down as the worst 
defensive team in NBA history. Now, those are relevant stats. Those are relevant numbers. Not the fact that he became the first player in NBA history to reach 1,000 threes. Now, Lord knows the Kings' issues certainly do not fall squarely on the shoulders of Buddy Heal. But he is a fairly big reason why the Kings have been pitiful this year. He's having a horrible year. Again, he doesn't have a good handle, doesn't play very good defense. And if he's making threes, fine. If he's not making threes, then you got problems. All right? Same story last year. All right, so I'm tired of hearing about Buddy Heald this, Buddy Heald that. The guy competes his ass off. That's the one thing I will say about him. That guy competes his ass off. May not always be good, but that guy plays hard on every down. And I do respect him for that. But this 1,000 three-pointers, who the hell cares? Big freaking deal. So he did it faster than Steph Curry? What does that mean? Would you rather have Buddy Heald than Steph Curry? Hello? I don't care about being the fastest to 1,003 pointers. Talk about a meaningless freaking stat. And oh, yeah, by the way, how about the final minute of that game on Sunday against Charlotte? How do you lose that game? Seriously, how on earth can you lose that game? How many times do we ask ourselves that as Kings fans during the course of a year? How often have we asked ourselves that question over the last 15 years, right? How on earth did they lose that game? How many times a year do you think you say that, Kings fans? Yeah, that's what I thought. Hey, that is my rant for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Really hope you enjoyed my conversation with Mike Wise. Make it a great day. Don't forget about my video rants over on YouTube. And if you could leave a comment, especially if you are listening via Apple Podcasts, just take a second, give me the rating, write a quick comment. It would mean the world to me. Thank you so much for checking us out here. If you don't like that, with Grant Napier.